Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Psalm 101, 1-3 I will sing of loving kindness and justice to thee, O Lord. I will sing praises. I'll give heed to the blameless way. When wilt thou come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart and I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. Many, many years ago, um, we were having a church camp in the South Auckland area and um, we, were, we were told about the speaker coming. We sort of pushed it with the youth group you know, made a big thing about getting some youth along to church camp. Had a few newbies, and uh, you got the you know usual crowd breakers on the Friday night, and it all went well, and and quite a long meeting, but that was okay. Anyway, next morning, you know, at camps, you got all those dishes and things to clean up after breakfast, all that sort of stuff. We went into the morning session, and uh, and it kind of went quite long, and. As soon as the crowns and the paper came out and we were having to draw our feelings and that, I was sort of like, well, oh, this isn't really me, you know. <laughs> and I was struggling with my attitude and saying sort of, well, Murray, you just got to go with it and, you know, you just got to be part of it all. Anyway, it went quite long. Then morning tea, another really long session. I'm very aware of my young people I'd brought along and thinking about how they were going to cope with all this very long, drawn-out thing with lots of drawings and pictures and things. And uh, But inside, in my heart, I just sort of had this check. I didn't know quite what that, that feeling was. But anyway, after lunch, it was the most beautiful day, and the young people were like, yes, freedom! And there was flying foxes down the creek, and there was trolleys, and there was all those sort of things you have at, at kids' camps, at kids, you know, designed for kids. And, uh, <laughs> and the adults really like doing it too. And so these, these uh, young ones were all out having fun and then ding, 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 there's a big bell at about two, two, two o'clock or somewhere around there. Um, come on, guys, all the young people, it's time for your relationship talk. And I'm like, so I've been in the side all morning, they're just having a bit of fun, hey. But anyway, let's get them all in there. So I didn't go, but, uh, uh, you know, I just trusted it would go well. Next morning, we all packed up, you know, did the camp thing and all the clean-up, all of that. But something in my heart was just not sitting right. And sadly, about uh, a year later, we heard that the speaker had, um, had uh, left his wife and four daughters for his associate that he had been travelling all around New Zealand with. And, um, you know... That was possibly the check in my heart. Um, but you know, Galatians, Galatians uh, 6 tells us, it says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And, you know, I just really pray that that man did get counsel and help. 
And, um, you know, we have to be so careful, don't we? And, um, and you know, I think that uh, we have to also be so sure that the Lord is watching us in our every move. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I love this psalm. I, I haven't got time to read the whole eight verses, but I call this very powerful psalm a template for life and for ministry because it just clearly sets out the keys for living pure. And the thing I'm most amazed at is David's insight into New Covenant thinking centuries before Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And David didn't even have a television, let alone all the other stuff we've got now. And yet he recognized the powerful effect on the human heart of what enters our eyes. The psalm starts out with praise and it ends with a hatred for sin. And uh, that only comes from spending time in the Word and, and in prayer, doesn't it? In Psalm 135, verse 18, it says, We become like what or who we worship. Check it out. Psalm 135, verse 18. What we focus on most or give the most attention to is what shapes our heart. And our heart shapes our values and our values shape our attitudes, which in turn leads to our actions and our actions ultimately determine our destiny. When Jenny and I enrolled at Lifeway Bible College, we were, we were asked to read several books before we arrived. I was a little bit reluctant to, you know, put in all this time while I was trying to get ready and blah, blah. But I got into this one called, Who Are You When No One Is Looking? Who are you when no one is looking? I could barely put this book down and it became food for my thirsty soul. I wanted to live a consistent life for the Lord, wherever he might have, have us go from there on. The book was extremely helpful in preparation for what lay ahead. Really, any public ministry that we may aspire to or any leadership role will only be as effective as our private walk with the Lord. Amen. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is lifting the bar on conduct to live to a level way beyond the minimum standard of the law. He lifts the bar and he challenges our private inner world, which is not so private to the Lord, obviously. And last week we said that once we're saved, God covers us with the robe of righteousness. It's a gift that Christ won for us on the cross, and we have just celebrated that gift this morning, this beautiful robe of righteousness that he places on us so the Father doesn't see our sin once it's been repented of and forgiven, he sees Jesus. Hallelujah. But that wonderful robe of righteousness is not, not a do-whatever-you-want, get-out-of-jail-free card. 
Galatians 6 verse 7 back in Galatians again says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or woman sows, this will he or she also reap. We're not saved by our good works, but in order to do good works. And that's important. It's meant to make us different. We want to be different because we're now in love with our Savior. And that's what makes the difference. It's about the heart. I, I keep saying that, don't I? You see, Jesus outlines a higher standard for new covenant living in Matthew 5. So back to Matthew 5, our key chapter for this month. He's, he's outlining this higher standard than that of the Pharisees. And you see there's lasting consequences for every action, according to Galatians 6, 7. Good and bad in this life and the next. If you drop a 10-pound hammer on your foot, there will be pain. If you don't maintain your marriage, there will be disappointment. We may well have to live with some of our choices for the rest of our life. However, in Christ there is forgiveness and restoration. The hope we have is that nothing's impossible for him to heal. And I want to just really encourage you that as we go through this, this message on purity. I just want to say there's nothing impossible for God to heal. In the light of eternity, trials now are a drop in the ocean. Our trials today are simply a teaspoon compared to the ocean of eternity and all the glory we will enjoy. But how we respond to those trials now will determine our destiny and our reward. In the Sermon on the Mount, however, Jesus gives some very clear instructions regarding things that we are responsible for, things we can do now and change in, in regards to relationships in particular. It's our side of the relationship that Jesus is most concerned with. So here's a summary of Jesus' life-changing, radical, above-and-beyond relationship mountain talk. Okay, that's a long mouthful, isn't it? Here's a summary of Jesus' life-changing, radical, above-and-beyond relationship mountain relationship talk. Let's turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be reading verse 21 and 22 together, if you've got your Bibles. So verse 21, we're up to verse 20. Last week, and now we're into verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. You see in here, Jesus explains that the power 
of hurtful words, calling someone stupid, dumb, or anything else offensive comes from a bad place and it carries the same charge as murder spiritually in the spiritual realm. We need to choose our words so carefully or face God's wrath. This is what Jesus is saying. The message says the simple moral factors that words kill. Worship. The second thing Jesus talks about here. Verse 23, 24. Let's just read these. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. We read that restoring a relationship ranks right up there with worship. In fact, Jesus says to leave your gift at the altar and get things sorted before you can expect God to receive your praise and thanks to the Lord. Jenny and I should have got our clipboard sorted before. We... <laughs> no, just kidding. That wasn't a domestic, by the way. <laughs> I just want to really honor Jenny. She just does so, so much during the week, and um, it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and then on the weekend as well. So, love you, love. <laughs> we have to sort it out. Get it sorted. This was radical stuff to the legalist mindset. Bent on sticking to the program. How flexible are we when an issue comes up? How flexible are you when plans change? Is it worth breaking a relationship over? Sometimes we need to drop the run sheets, the, the appointment diary, whatever was planned, and go with the Spirit's leading in order to repair a hurt or a broken relationship is what Jesus is saying here. Let's move on. Lawsuits, verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponents at law while you are with him on the way in order that your appointment opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you've paid the last cent. See, the principle here is that we humble ourselves. Rather than having all this angst to our opponent and what they've done to us and, and really holding all of these things as a grudge, which we're going to talk about next week, or Jeremy is, and we, we just, we've got to humble ourselves. James says, James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the presence of God and he will lift you up in due time. It may not happen overnight. It will happen in due time. It's the key, humbling ourselves. And the idea here is that as a believer, we're way better off when we make the first Move in a dispute. On the way suggests the fallout is usually someone going in the same direction. 
Sadly, it's those who are closest to us often that hurt us the most, isn't it? Or someone with similar interests. But there are times when our fallout does come from an opponent. Someone who really is an opponent, but who's dressed up as an angel of light. You see, Satan can use all kinds of disguises to steer us off track, get us sidetracked with these, with these offenses. It's his greatest trick. Get us offended. And we, we, our vision gets all clouded. We cannot see a way forward or a way to forgiveness that Nathan shared about before. You see, we need to confess sin quickly. And according to 1 John 1 9, he will forgive us. And we have to agree that we do sin. Not be so prideful that we think we're above that. Pride is a sure way of being dragged off to court and to be judged way more harshly. Yeah. Keep short accounts, sort it quickly. Don't let it fester. How many heartaches could we avoid by going directly to the source, by getting all the facts straight, and then admitting our share of the blame? Lots. <laughs> Sexual purity, verse 27 and 28, deal with lust. There's an old TV ad years ago where in the pouring rain on a dark night, there's a close-up of a man dressed in black attacking a car with a great big stabbing sort of instrument, peeling back the big side panel of the car, and the slogan was, Rust Never Sleeps, <laughs> advertising some product that would stop your car from rusting. <laughs> Jesus knew that lust never sleeps either. And so going above and beyond, which is our theme for the month, going above and beyond the law, not to commit adultery, adultery is what Jesus says we have to go, way above the actual act. He says that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery already in his or her heart. This is a huge problem. Statistics out recently indicate that possibly even a little more than 60% of internet data use is for porn. And young people attribute for much of this usage, but not entirely. In many cases, it's just one click away with no filter systems and no parental guidance and it's addictive. Through porn usage, many men and women have become lovers of self and not true lovers of their own spouse. See, many fantasies are born out of lustful looks and it's possible to even have an emotional affair with someone without any physical contact. Jesus knew that these longing looks would claim many lives and break up families, 
not to mention images that get etched on the mind and that destroy healthy relationships. And I believe that is why Paul links sexual sin to sinning against our own bodies. A young couple that I married um, some years ago were in trouble when a young woman at work made constant advances to the new husband. Finally, he yielded and left home. I was devastated. There were children involved, and even though his wife found out, she was still willing to forgive. And it really bothered me. Something really stirred up in me, and I just felt led by the Lord to write to him, do an old-school letter. And I somehow kind of managed to sort of get it to him, kind of via work, this in an envelope. And uh, in it, I wrote a line that said, the choices we make today will ripple down through generations to follow and will ripple through eternity. I'm not sure if you ever read it, but praise God, the family was reunited and they left the area together. Sometimes a glimpse of the bigger picture gives us strength to overcome the temptation in front of us and the addiction we face today. See, Jesus gave the mega picture in this teaching to go above and beyond today's perceived needs. See, a life of purity in this area is a powerful weapon against the enemy. If we can overcome those temptations to ever look or have the second look, then it's a powerful weapon against the enemy. And it's only possible with God's grace. And that grace works best when we feed our, our inner man the word of God. Amen, Dave. <laughs> That's what gives us the ability. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Get the word in your heart. Devour it. Eat it. Meditate on it. Love it. And that's our one and most effective weapon against the enemy. That grace works best when we feed our inner man. God's word is the antidote for sin. But next, we need to starve the desire for wrong thoughts, wrong images, and wrong fantasies with anyone but our husband or wife. See, marriage is great. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's awesome. When both feel valued. When both feel valued. When both feel valued. But it does not solve a lust problem. There's many times in a marriage when intimacy is not possible. If you are struggling with being, you know, with this problem, marriage is not necessarily the answer. 
And if you're struggling with being single, then you need to know that the Lord gives special grace to cover you. And you can use singleness to be more focused on him and to find a deeper intimacy in prayer. He has the very best long-term plan for us all in this life. But ultimately, we are being shaped and, and tested to form the eternal bride of Christ. And I got this feeling that whatever it takes, God's going to use it. He starts with what he's got, and then he wants the finished product to, to be beautiful. And sometimes we, we struggle and slip up along the way, and there's grace for that. But ultimately, he's just looking for this beautiful bride of Christ, isn't he? Male and female, there's no male and female in that bride. It's, we're just a bride of Christ, intimate with the Father. It starts now. We need to learn that now. The Message Bible sums up this whole relationship teaching well in its conclusion on divorce by saying, you can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral favor. You know, he wants us to be real about our failures, own our mistakes. His ways work when there is grace when we fall. But the challenge is, and here's quite a big statement, that technology and social values have made it so easy to excuse sexual sin today. And to normalize what God calls sin. And that even the church has lost its way and its authority to speak truth in this area. Because it's not easy, is it? Let's change that and repent. We need to be people who go above and beyond social norms. Who have a clean heart and live clean faith-filled lives. There's always a blessing at the other side of that. I once sat down in, in, in a church and, and I just had this real um, sense of this beautiful presence, someone sitting beside me, and it was purity. I honestly felt this spirit of purity and I looked around, I'd been praying, I looked around and it was a young lady who had never married and had loved the Lord from as a child and she just beamed purity. And I just want to encourage those who are single that there is something special if, you, if that's you and you feel like, you know, disappointed in any way, that the Lord is saying, there's a beautiful spirit over someone who is living clean. And that might be someone who, who's, who's sinned in the past and is now washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we can still be that beautiful, pure thing to God as he looks on us if we're walking in there. You know, this clean, faithful life, if, if this is your heart's desire, then let's just finish by, by just joining 
joining together in Psalm 51. You know, this is David. He blew it. He knew, he knew it. The prophet Nathan was really, really subtle and inspired and creative, came in with a story, and David could see straight away, not straight away, sorry, very clearly, I should say, after the story, he was the guy. I am the man in a bad way. <laughs> and then he says this beautiful prayer to God. And I just want you to join me in this. If this is you and you want to say this again today, and I believe we all can say this again, Psalm 51 verse 10, let's say it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast or right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I'll teach transgressors their way and sinners will be converted to you. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that it's life, that it speaks volumes in just one word. And Lord, we just know we need you. We need your grace in this area. Lord, we need the washing of your precious blood. Lord, we just thank you that you have made a way that we can be sons and daughters, blood-bought sons and daughters of the living God. And that we will stand in your presence one day in those washed robes and we will sing like we've never sung before in a joyful choir that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the bride of Christ, reborn. So God, help us to sort things quickly, to lay it all out there, to be honest, to have support people, whatever it takes, Lord, to see your, your ways in us, to have that cleansing, to have that clean mind, a pure heart, and be living a faithful, exciting life with you the goal, you the prize, and you our gatekeeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast.